Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 127, and today we'll be chatting with Chris Gimmer, the co-founder and CEO of Snappa, the fastest way to create graphics. Chris joined the government after school, but quickly found himself wanting to explore other career paths, eventually stumbling onto tech startups. He and his co-founder Mark began to work nights, weekends, and even the occasional lunch hour at work to launch some of their first online projects. Their second bootstrapped startup, Snappa, first launched just over 12 months ago and has since seen over 40,000 signups through a combination of growth-focused tactics. Chris joins us to share his story, how he got into startups, how he's managed to leverage constraints in order to push growth as a bootstrap company, what it's been like scaling a SaaS startup, how he approaches building partnerships with bigger companies, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at hack to start drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited to have you on and, and to have you share your story with us and all the cool things um, that you've done for the for the businesses that you've bootstrapped and built over the years. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Yeah, so I was uh, born and raised in Ottawa. I attended Carleton University. I did a bachelor's degree of commerce and with a finance concentration. So basically absolutely nothing related <laughs> to what I'm doing now. And, and even after I graduated, I, I spent, you know, the, the next five years after school working in, in the government as a financial analyst. Um, so again, just completely different from what I'm doing now. Eventually, I, I met Mark, who's, who's now my co-founder at Snappa, while we were working together. And he, he's, a, he's a developer. So when I started seeing some of the stuff he was building, I just got you know, really impressed that this young guy can you know, whip up these, these websites in no time. And you know, I, I didn't really know much about tech at the time. And uh, over time, I just started listening to a lot more podcasts and started following more blogs and just getting really interested in the whole online space and, and marketing and that kind of stuff. And so he, here I am. <laughs> so how did your passion for tech and entrepreneurship really develop? Was it, you know, something that happened once you met Mark or was it something that sort of always existed? It was a really a combination of things because I had just taken a, a trip to Southeast Asia around, I think it was like 2010. It was just phenomenal. And I just didn't really want to come back at the time. And so I kind of started thinking like, you know, how could I get a bit more freedom in my life to travel and not have to, you know, work all day in a cubicle and to have like three weeks of vacation. And around the same time, that's kind of when I had met Mark and just starting seeing like, you know, people uh, around me and online just building these really cool, cool things on the internet and, and making money online. And that just seemed like so fascinating to me that you didn't have to be in a physical location to actually make a living like you can take your work with you. And that was just something that really fascinated me and, you know, something that I wanted to to pursue. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds really cool. And so can you tell us a little bit more, I guess, about how you managed to create that transition from a full time job in the government to a tech entrepreneur? Like, how did you get started? What was that like? 
When we first started, like I was super naive. Uh, I, I knew nothing about marketing. And, um, you know, we made all the classic, you know, mistakes that uh, first time entrepreneurs make. The first thing we ever did was actually a student dating website. <laughs> so we had like, you know, no validation to make sure it, you know, it was something that was really needed. We had no idea how we we're going to make money. Uh, we were bootstrapped. So like ad revenue was just awful. And so we, we kind of ran that. We actually got quite a few users and, you know, people were using in our local city, but we just couldn't like scale beyond that. And so after that experience is when I really started to, you know, read a lot of blog posts, you know, start following guys like Noah Kagan and try to figure out like how this all works. And so the next thing we, we did was Bootstrap Bay. And so we actually kind of validated that a little bit through you know, looking at Google AdWords and seeing what kind of search volumes there were, looking at competition, uh, we kind of started putting together some sort of like a marketing strategy. And so we basically just grew that website while we were still working our jobs, nights and weekends kind of thing, maybe the odd lunch break. Hopefully my previous boss isn't listening. <laughs> and so um, eventually we, you know, we were making like a couple thousand bucks a month. Uh, which was like a fraction what I was making in the day job. But it was enough where I was like, you know what, you only live once. I'm still pretty young. And so I, I took a one year leave of absence and uh, just kind of went all in on it. And luckily, uh, haven't had to go back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. I, I love the I love the hustle of the nights and weekends. So so the, the, the second business, I guess, Bootstrap Bay, how did you approach actually building and growing that site once you had validated that, you know, people were looking for Bootstrap uh, website themes? Yeah. So, I mean, looking back, it was I would not recommend starting a marketplace if you're bootstrapped. Yeah. It's, it's a really tough business model to get going. And again, I was still kind of like naive at the time. So um, knowing what I, I know now, I probably I would never start a marketplace unless I had some funding. Uh, but having said that, we we got in really early. So Bootstrap the, as a framework was starting to get just like fairly popular at the time. So there's a lot of like I said, there's a lot of search volumes for for keywords like Bootstrap themes, Bootstrap templates. And when we looked at the competition, there was there was like really one uh, website that was doing that was like a dedicated you know marketplace for Bootstrap themes. And even sites like Theme Forest, which is, you know, they're huge, like they're by far the biggest theme marketplace. They weren't even ranking on the first page when you would Google Bootstrap themes. So we kind of just thought like, you know, if we built something, do a little bit of SEO and content marketing and, and hopefully we can get some customers. So basically, uh, Mark just, you know, built the website over the the next few months again like nights and weekends kind of thing and then when we launched it we actually created the first batch of themes ourselves but we posted it as if they were created by a theme author because we didn't want to we didn't want it to look like the site creators of the marketplace are the only ones listing themes on there <laughs> so then um, after we did that we just we went on like create a market and kind of every marketplace we could think of and just started emailing people and letting them know you know, about our marketplace and try to get them to list our themes. And then once we had like a bit of themes going, uh, we just went all in on content marketing. And so, like I said, we were early. So a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of content about Bootstrap. So 
we created like tutorials. You know, we went through the the documentation on Bootstrap on the on the Bootstrap site, and I just tried to write an article about like anything I could think of related to Bootstrap. And eventually, we were like ranking number one for tons of these keywords on our blog, and just brought in a, a bunch of traffic that way. And then over time, as we were building backlinks and we we're getting traffic to our blog, we just started increasing the rank for our money keywords of like Bootstrap themes, Bootstrap templates. And that's kind of how we we got things off the ground. Pretty cool, pure pure drive and uh, and hustle. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we we had like no money. It was, I mean, the only marketing we did was anything that was free and just <laughs> required our time. So that's kind of what we did. So today, as you mentioned, you're the co-founder and CEO of Snappa. So for those who may not have heard about it yet, can you tell us a bit more about Snappa and what really motivated you to create it? Yeah, so Snappa is um, basically a, a graphic design tool that's kind of geared towards marketers and entrepreneurs, and it, it just makes it super easy to create graphics for social media ads, blog posts, all that kind of stuff without you know having to rely on Photoshop or graphic designers and stuff like that. And so the way that came out was, like I said, we were doing a lot of content marketing while we were growing Bootstrap Bay, and I'm not the most creative designer guy in the world, and so every time... I had to create images for the blog. I just struggled. Like I had Photoshop, but wasn't really good at it. And uh, at the time, I was like, "Man, there's got to be, you know, some sort of tool out there for guys like me who, you know, aren't designers but don't have the money to to hire a graphic designer." And when I looked at what was out there, you know, I found that the tools were either, you know, either too overcomplicated and slow and clunky with like tons of functionality, or they were just basically like quote generators and didn't have enough functionality to to, to make it, a, you know, a, a good tool. So we wanted to hit that sweet spot with Snappo, you know, where it was still super easy, super quick to use, but you can actually create really nice images. And um, that's kind of what we set out to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it hits that mark, I think, just as you described it, like the sweet spot of just enough functionality and, and ease of use that you don't need to be a Photoshop wizard, but, you know, way more than a quote generator. Um, and so how, how did you like approach honing in on that sweet spot? Yeah. So, you know, one of the lessons we had learned from kind of previous failures was, um, you know, not spending a ton of time building things and then realizing you either built the wrong thing or or that it wasn't needed at all. So we took a, like a super iterative approach um, where we built out like a really initial beta and then we just had people using it and we just tried to get like feedback as much as possible. People would send in feature requests and all that kind of stuff. I did like a ton of Skype interviews with with some of our early users. And through a lot of the feedback, we were really able to prioritize like what was, you know, most important to people. So we found like, for example, templates was one of the biggest things, um, you know, for people who aren't designers, it's tough to, you know, create stuff from scratch. So having templates that you can just like modify and, and swap things around and, and use as a starting point was super helpful. Uh, another feature that we realized was super important was like image resizing. So, you know, being able to take like a, an image for Photoshop, converting it to like a Twitter. So we we really built the product, you know, based off like customer feedback and, you know, really talking to to to, you know, our core users and, you know, building it out that way. Yeah, absolutely. So another interesting part of, I guess, both businesses that you've built is that they've both been bootstrapped. So what's it like really bootstrapping a startup? And can you share some stories about, you know, some of the challenges you had to overcome and maybe creative ideas that that came into play to be able to go out there and make things happen? 
Yeah, so that's a, that's a really good question. You know, now that I've, I've had a bit more experience bootstrapping, I kind of see being bootstrapped as like a blessing and a curse. You know, why I say that is when you when you don't have funding, um, obviously there's there's like a ton of constraints. But at the same time, that could also be uh, used as an advantage because when you don't have funding and you don't have three or four developers on the team, it really um, forces you to focus on like just what's absolutely crucial, what has to be done and kind of ignore the rest. And so with that, you know, we really had to be super careful with what features we were going to build. And, and that's why we did a lot of customer feedback. We really paid attention to what was needed. And also in terms of features, you know, we really focused on kind of like the home run features that were really going to move the needle as opposed to just focusing on small incremental improvements that were kind of nice to haves, but, you know, weren't really going to move the needle in the business. And then when it comes to marketing, you know, we didn't have like 510k to, to drop on Facebook ads to see if that was going to work. So, you know, we really had to test, you know, marketing strategies that we, we could as, as bootstrappers. And it's funny because I, I just read uh, a blog post, you know, the other day, but it was from the CEO of 2020, which is like a kind of like a new stock photo site. And essentially the, the post was, you know, talking about how he burned through like $10 million because they were trying to scale super fast. You know, they ended up laying off like, something like 80% of their or their employees. And when they did that, they ended up like growing, you know, twice as fast because they had to focus on like how they were going to grow without a huge sales team. And then they kind of found that self-service was actually a better and more profitable way of acquiring customers than, you know, building out a huge sales team. And so for me, like that was just a really good example of having those constraints and, and not having all that funding really forces you to get creative and, uh, you know, identify ways of growing the business without money. You know, I do have to admit, though, that being bootstrapped, um, especially for us, like growing a SaaS business, um, sometimes it is hard not having, you know, a couple more developers on board to, to be able to build things a bit faster. But at the end of the day, you, you kind of have to work with what you have. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned, you know, a couple tactics there in terms of user acquisition. What are some of the, you know, what are some of the things that you guys have done in order to acquire users? And how, how have you built that, you know, sort of like pipeline of, of potential leads for Snappa? So one of the um, the best things we've done was we actually built a free stock photo site um, and we've been able to generate quite a bit of traffic through that site. And it, it's just a great fit because obviously, you know, a lot of people who are looking for stock photos are typically the type of people who are, who are going to need photos for their social media and their their Facebook ads, their their blogs and that kind of stuff. And so we've been able to cross promote effectively. And I, I feel like this kind of um engineering is marketing or whatever you want to call it is is becoming a new trend especially with websites like product hunt i mean you can literally whip up free tool or some kind of like microsite over you know a weekend or two throw it up on product hunt and and if it's if it's good people will share it around they'll you know you can drive traffic to it and so if you have like a core offering that is somewhat related to that uh, free tool or resource you can definitely cross promote it so that was one thing that worked really well uh, another thing for us was partnerships um, and some, you know, business development deals. So we we did a, a promotion with Lead Pages, um, where they essentially partners with us and and they gave away uh, some licenses to Snappa, and we obviously gave them a good deal on that. And so we got a lot of exposures through that. We just did a promotion with Sumo Me. Uh, we have another promotion coming up with Wishpond. So 
if you're a small, uh, you know, if you're a smaller startup, uh, try to think about how you can, you know, leverage some of these big startups and provide value to them and see what ways you can get them to, you know, expose their audience to your tool. We found that worked really well for us. Um, and now we're really stepping up our content marketing game and uh, trying to, you know, draw some more leads through through our blog. Uh, it's it's a pretty competitive space. Like any, you know, with, with marketing, we're we're going up against a lot of sharp guys. But it, it's just, you know, content is just a really good channel uh, once you can get it going. So we're, you know, we're we're dedicated to that. So just diving into uh, a few things that you just mentioned there a little bit more. First, you mentioned building related microsites for lead generation or exploring a bunch of different partnerships. How do you know how far to go into these things without losing focus of like, you know, the core product or the things you should be doing on on like an ongoing basis? Um, yeah, that, that's uh, that's a really good question. I don't even know if I have a, a good answer for you. You know, with our stock photo site, we had written a blog post on, um, you know, where to get free stock photos that just was like crazy popular. Um, and again, it was still really new at the time. There weren't a lot of these stock photo sites, you know, releasing things under Creative Commons. So we were like fairly confident that if we release this thing, that it was going to it was going to do well, it was going to get traffic. So I guess I would say like, you know, try to measure, you know, what confidence uh, you have that, you know, this microsite or this thing is actually going to, you know, be really well received and make sure that you have like some, you know, distribution channels for that. And if it is, then, you know, go for it. But yeah, like you said, it's really tricky to you don't want to get too distracted and, and have shiny object syndrome and spend like half of your time building out all these like microsites and stuff like that. But yeah, hopefully that <laughs> that somewhat answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great answer. So second, you know, what's your approach towards building partnerships or co-marketing opportunities, especially as a smaller startup with like a bigger brand? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's really all about relationships, um, you know, try to try to figure out like who works on the business development side. Um, usually you can find that through LinkedIn or, or usually even on their about page, it'll usually show what person at the company does what. Look them up on LinkedIn, see what kind of mutual connections you have. Anytime you get like an introduction versus a cold email, it's just going to greatly increase your, your your chances. And for us, there is a really good overlap between Snap and Lead Pages because people are using Lead Pages to create landing pages and they're creating Facebook ads to, you know, drive traffic to their landing page. So Snapple was just such a great complimentary tool. And so, you know, I got an introduction to to the guy who who heads up the biz dev there you know we saw that it was uh you know it was a good opportunity and so we we worked out a deal and once you have your first deal you you can use that as social proof so when i started pitching you know the other companies to work on a promo i would always start off the email with hey you know we just did a deal with lead pages you know um and and i would link to kind of the landing page of, the, of that deal I would say, you know, I was just wondering if you, you know, you'd be interested in, in doing something similar. And so obviously, if Lee Pages is going to is going to do a promotion with you, um, chances are there there's other, you know, companies who are going to look at that and say, wow, OK, well, if Lee Pages did a promo with them, then, you know, we should take these guys seriously as well. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes, you know, sequentially easier to build on top of, of the last one for sure. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned it really briefly just a few minutes ago that Snappa is basically a SaaS business model. So in your experience, what are some of the biggest challenges in building and growing a SaaS startup? Yeah, so 
you know, one of the be- obviously the the greatest benefit of of SaaS is is the recurring revenue, um, but it's the biggest challenge when you're first starting, uh, especially for Snappa, which is like a you know ten dollar a month tool. It takes a lot of customers before ten dollars a month you know starts to become meaningful money, and so you know the challenge, especially as a bootstrap. Um, the reality is it just takes a long time before, you know, the, the new customers and the revenue just starts compounding. Um, but having said that, that's the beauty of it is once you kind of hit that point where it's kind of like a snowball effect, right? If Like if you just keep adding more customers each and every month, assuming, you know, they're, they're not churning out like mm-hmm. crazy, you're just going to keep building up that momentum. And uh, before you know it, you know, you go from 1K a month to 2K a month to 5K a month to 10K a month. Uh, and eventually it becomes meaningful money, but it's just difficult in the early going. You, you kind of have to have that long term vision and not get too discouraged when you see like, you know, a thousand dollars monthly recurring, two thousand monthly recurring. Um, and just understand that, you know, if you keep at it and keep hustling, that number will just keep growing over time. Yeah, absolutely. I bet it's a pretty good feeling when uh, when you get into a couple extra digits <laughs> in that monthly recurring uh, column. Yeah, I remember like when we hit 10K, it was just such a such an awesome feeling. I mean, like, you know, it, it was a couple of year journey for us. Right. And so yeah, I remember when we first started it, uh, I was like, man, if we can hit like 10 K, I mean, we're, we're set for life. We're, we're, we're going to be good. And then of course, when you hit 10 K the next day, you're like, all right, we got to get to 20. And then you hit 20 and it's like, all right, we got to get to 50. And so as entrepreneurs, we're never happy, but yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome when we, when we did hit the 10 K mark. Yeah, absolutely. And so Snap has actually gotten over 40,000 signups in, you know, the last year or so of of being out there in the wild. So what have been some of the most effective channels for growth and marketing, you know, beyond some of the other things that we've talked about, you know, really quickly so far? We're, we've only been around for a year. So those are kind of the, the channels that really worked well for us up to that point, which again is, you know, the, having that microsite uh, partnerships. Word of mouth has actually been really big. If, if you build a good product and, and you offer really good support and, and you treat your customers good, um, I, I'm always shocked, you know, how willing they are to spread the word and tell their friends about the product. Um, so always make sure to, you know, treat your customers right. Like I said, the focus for this year is we really want to step up the content game, uh, step up the SEO. And we're actually going to look at potentially de- uh, testing some paid acquisition channels and, and see if that works. You know, my gut is it might be a little difficult because we're such a low price tool. Um, I think, you know, Facebook ads and stuff like that is getting more and more expensive. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, absolutely. It's really awesome. So besides content marketing, you know, what's next for Snappa as a product and as a community? Yeah, so one of the, the biggest things is, um, you know, we, we realize that there's a lot of teams and, and marketing agencies that are using Snappa right now. Um, and we only have, you know, one user accounts. Uh, so we're going to be rolling out a, a team plan that will allow small businesses and, and marketing agencies to have multiple people um, with one shared account that they can kind of collaborate on graphics with. So that's going to be a, a really big thing for us. Other than that, you know, there's certain things like custom fonts and, you know, we, we got a backlog of feature that we're just going to be, you know, hammering away uh, over the course of the year and see see where that takes us after that. Cool. That's awesome. So shifting gears a little bit, are there any like really notable apps or tools that, you know, you yourself have downloaded or used either, you know, personally or professionally? It's funny. I'm like, so not an early adopter when it comes to apps and that kind of stuff. Like I, I typically jump on things once I know uh, I'm going to have like a serious need for it. 
So I haven't really tried many new things. I mean, one app that I just really love using is Trello. Um, I use it like both personally and professionally. It just keeps me really organized. So that's kind of like my go-to thing. And on the personal side, big uh, big Spotify user. It's definitely one of my favorite apps. Nice. Any any business tools that help keep uh, Snapper running? We got a lot. Um, there's yeah, like I said, Trello Trello is a good one. We use um, we have Drip for email marketing, which is a really awesome tool. It's kind of like lightweight marketing automation, so you can build out some really cool onboarding and email flows when people sign up for your product. Uh, we also use Heap Analytics, which is great for you know tracking conversions in your funnel and um, see what people are are what features people are using in the app. So those are, I would say those are kind of my go-to. Another really good tool is like BuzzSumo and Ahrefs, really good for like SEO and, you know, keyword research and all that kind of stuff. So those are pretty much our, our go-to. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you and mentioned- And Snappa, of course. And Snappa, of course, of course. <laughs> you can't live without Snappa. Yeah, exactly. Use it every day. Yeah, for sure. So I know you mentioned, uh, you know, a few people and a few blogs, but are there any recommendations on some great content that are like, you know, your go-to that you keep checking in with or anything really cool that's, uh, you know, come across the screen uh, in the past couple of weeks? One newsletter is which is really solid is um, SAS Weekly, and it's curated by Heat and Shaw. So definitely subscribe to that one. There's a lot of good stuff there. I, I typically, you know, check out growthhackers.com and inbound.org and Usually if there's a really good blog post, it'll, it'll surface there. One post in particular that I thought was really good, Matthew Barbie had written on 21 customer acquisition strategies. And so there's, um, for startups, there's definitely some, some good tidbits in there. Wicked. Sounds awesome. We'll make sure that uh, we link to that so other folks can check it out. And of course, you have to listen to Hack to Start. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's, that's just like mandatory uh, listening for sure. Absolutely. Thanks for the plug. So, <laughs> so do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? Uh, for me, I just kind of um, focus on daily progress. I, I used to be really bad about, like I said, you know, every time we reached a milestone, I'd be like, oh, we, we got to get, you know, to, to here by next year. And, and so now I just, I really just, I'm all about daily progress. Um, I just want to make sure that every day I've accomplished something and I'm just moving towards uh, the right goals. Look at that's awesome. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, man. Really appreciate uh, having you on the show. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. another episode of hack to start thanks for listening and we hope to have you join us again soon remember to check us out on twitter instagram facebook and on the web at hacktostart.com we honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support so thanks for listening until next week 